0: Welcome to day three of our look through John 18 and Daily Drive Time Devotions. Yesterday, we took a look at Jesus before the Roman army, showing the verdict that he is Lord. He allows himself to be arrested, and he's delivered up to the religious courts for judgment. And today, we're going to focus in on Jesus before these religious courts and the verdict that we see of who he truly is. Beginning in John chapter 8, verses 12 to 14, here's what happened. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be good if one man died for the people. Remember, we looked at that earlier in the book of John. Caiaphas had made a prophecy without knowing it, saying that it would be good if one man would die for the people. He meant die for the political expediency, But as we see it now, we realize he died for our sins. The interesting thing here is that first Jesus goes to a man named Annas, who's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. And the question is, why why Annas first? Why why was he brought to the father-in-law of the high priest, the one who's going to judge him is Caiaphas, not Annas? Well, he's brought to Annas first because of who Annas was. From AD 6 to AD 15, Annas had been the high priest and even though he was out of office at AD 15, he had created a religious political machine. The high priest after him had been his five sons, his grandson, and now Caiaphas is his son-in-law, and he's the one behind it all, pulling all the strings. It was under Annas's direction that the temple began to move more manipulatively to using money changing and the selling of animals within the temple to feed the coffers. And he was raising a lot of money by breaking God's law. And Annas didn't like Jesus. Why? Well, remember what Jesus did. He went in and he turned the money changing tables over. He chased them out for what they were doing. And Annas did not like that. That was their income stream that Jesus was messing with. And because he is the power behind the power, Jesus is taken to him first. And look at what happened let's skip to verse 19 we're going to come back to the verses in between which are peter's story which is interwoven here in uh, in days to come but verse 19 to 24 here's what happened meanwhile the high priest questioned jesus about his disciples and his teaching i have spoken openly to the world jesus replied i always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the jews come together i said nothing in secret why question me ask those who heard me surely they know what i said when jesus said this One of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is that the way that you answer the high priest, he demanded? If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? And then Annas sent him, still bound, to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now notice in this account of the story, Annas is still called the high priest, even though Caiaphas is the actual high priest at that time, because he was the power. And as Jesus is questioned by Annas, he knew exactly Exactly what was happening. Jesus replies, I've taught in the synagogue where everybody comes together, nothing in secret. Why are you questioning me? He said this to indicate that they were breaking the law by questioning him. The law was that if somebody was accused, first you had to question the witnesses against them, and then you could question the one who was accused. But instead, they're questioning Jesus first. That's why Jesus says, Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. He's reminding the high priest's father in law about the law. And their law said that they were breaking the law. And so they struck him. They slapped him on the cheek. They did so because they had nothing to say in defense. So they hit him instead. That's the last resort of people who have nothing to say. Jesus says, if I said something wrong, tell me what was wrong. Why did you strike me? In these verses, Jesus literally shows us what it means to turn the other cheek, he tells us to do that in the Sermon on the Mount. Here, he turns the other cheek. He was struck on the cheek, and he didn't respond in anger. He didn't slap back. He doesn't lie and act somehow like he was wrong. He continues to speak the truth with humility, without anger or malice towards the person who slapped him. That's what it means to turn the other cheek. Some people think that turning the other cheek means you let people run over you. That's not what Jesus did. It's not what it means. Turning the other cheek is the decision to continue to love an enemy, to stay in love. And Jesus shows us that as you love an enemy, it's okay to continue to tell them the truth. Now, Annas knew that Jesus was right. So in verse 24, Annas sends him, still bound, to Caiaphas the high priest. Now, we're not going to hear that story of that trial from John or the things that happened there. It would have been literally right across the street for him to go to this other trial. And this trial would have been before the greater Jewish court the greater Sanhedrin, the lesser court of 26 men couldn't rule on a capital crime, but there were 73 men in this greater court. And he he went across for this trial. And in this trial that we read in other gospel accounts, and even in this pre-trial that we read here before Annas, something is immediately obvious. It was not a fair trial. Uh, Let me just give you a list of why it wasn't a fair trial according to their laws. Nine reasons. Number one, the number of witnesses was not correct. You had to have two or more. In some cases, they had none. Number two, the witness didn't agree. Even when they did get two witnesses together in some of the trials, they didn't agree with each other. And by law, they had to agree. Number three, they changed the nature of the accusation halfway through the trial. First, it was blasphemy, and then they changed it to treason because blasphemy was not a capital offense to the Romans. So they needed to convict him of treason so they could take it to the Romans and say, now you have to kill him. Number four, A man arrested for a capital crime couldn't be arrested at night. Jesus was arrested at night. Number five, if a man was arrested for a capital crime, no one who cooperated in the arrest could be associated with the accused. Judas was associated with Jesus. Number six, no Jewish trial could be held at night. This one was held at night. Number seven, a court was not to immediately pass judgment on a capital offense. They did. Number eight, witnesses had to be called before the prisoner could be questioned. The first thing Annas does is question Jesus. And number nine, a prisoner couldn't be asked a question that would incriminate them of a capital crime. And they broke that one too. It was not a fair trial. But here's what I want you to see. It was not fair, but it was perfectly used of God. Can God use something that is unfair to accomplish his will? Our American spirit says absolutely not. But the cross of Jesus Christ shouts absolutely yes. God is greater in the unfair actions of men. When life isn't fair, you and I need to be reminded, we need to remind ourselves that God always is fair. And when it seems like the books aren't being balanced in this world, we need to remember that this isn't where the books are balanced anyway. That's going to happen in heaven at the end. That's where everything is balanced. That is where God will make everything right and just and fair. And until that day, as we live in an unfair world, God works even here. God takes even the unrighteous, unholy things that are done, and He uses them through His perfect power to get Jesus right where He wants Him, right when He wants Him, to get Him to the cross. You see, as Jesus goes through this unfair trial, this is a trial that proves the innocence of the accused and the guilt of the accusers. In fact, the verdict of this trial, as we read it today, is Jesus is innocent. The louder their accusations, the more innocent Jesus appears. Now, as you and I look at this, these trials, this unfair moment, it's good to remind ourselves that Jesus is on trial in our lives. It's easy for you and I to look at these religious leaders and think, well, I'm thankful to God that I'm not like them. The better thing, the real truth, is to recognize how easily we can be like that, have been like that they were just trying to protect what they thought was right. They were trying to protect the status quo. They were trying to protect their comfort, and they were trying to maintain their power. And if you say you've never tried to protect those things or maintain those things in your life, you probably need to take a better look at your life. We've all struggled with that. Why did these men do what they did? Why did they re- reject Jesus? They rejected Jesus for the same reason that most people reject Jesus. And you might think that, In most cases, people reject Jesus for intellectual reasons, but that is not the main reason people reject Jesus Christ. The main reason most people reject Jesus is we don't want to change. We we want to stay like we are. We want our lives not to lose some of the comfort that we have. We want to maintain the power we have over our lives. That's most of the time why we reject Christ. That's why even as believers, sometimes we hold at arm's length the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. We don't want to change. And so we hold him outside of our lives because we know if we really let him into our lives, he's going to make some changes. Now, they're going to be for the better. A part of our mind tells us that, but there's something in our gut that says, I don't care. I don't want to change. I'm comfortable where I am. And so I reject Jesus Christ. And so I say no to Jesus Christ. That's what they did. That's why they did it. And that's why we reject him. So as we come to the end of this trial, the real question isn't what they did. The real question is, what's your verdict in this trial? The question for me and for you is, are we willing to be confronted with the truth about ourselves? I'm not willing to change. I resist change. I resist God's work in my life. The place to begin that willingness is always in prayer, in conversation with God. So let me encourage you to pray this simple prayer today. Say to him, Father, help me to be willing to change. Help me to see where I'm holding you at arm's length, putting your truth on trial in my heart because I'm not willing to change. And as I see it, I pray you'd give me the strength through what Jesus has done for me, his love for me, to know that the changes you want to work in my life are all for the best. They're all for the eternal good work that you want to do in my character and through my life for your glory. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help me, help me to be willing to change. For your sake, in Jesus' name, amen.